This episode of the Event Safety Podcast is brought to you by DTN Weather Ops. Whether you're responsible for a festival, stadium event, or world tour, let DTN help protect your team, talent, and fans. With site-specific forecasts, real-time alerts, and 24-7 meteorologist support, our team will keep you informed well ahead of the storm. Learn more at weatherops.com. Welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we're talking about weather. Yay, talking about weather, because this is really important. It's important all the time. You may have noticed we've had a few severe weather incidents around the country. and Hurricanes. Hurricanes, uh, record high heat where I am. Welcome from the hot side of the sun. And so we are delighted to have our dear friend, uh, Dr. Kevin Clazel from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, Kev is the university meteorologist at the Department of Campus Safety, and he is a certified emergency manager. He also has an amazing cup trick, which you will not see today on this podcast because this is an audio event. I have seen this many times. I still don't understand how it works. Yeah, it's still a mystery. So welcome, Kevin. It is great to be here. Uh, again, you know, weather for many of us, including meteorologists, can be a mystery as well. And it's why we have to have weather plans, right? It, it's just so important to be proactive when it comes to weather because you, you never know what, it's, what you're going to be dealt. You really don't. And, and these days, part of our solutions for COVID is to take things outside because you have greater airflow. But that means a whole bunch of people that aren't used to doing events outside all of a sudden get to consider weather. What are some of the things we should be thinking about? Yeah, this is really important because a lot of folks in, even in the original, you know, sort of outdoor business, right, the outdoor venues, et cetera, now are being joined by a lot of people who uh, historically have only done indoor events. And for both all the veterans who have been doing outdoor events and the rookies who are doing them for the first time, you know, weather sheltering in a COVID environment is very different than it used to be because you start thinking about your venue and you start thinking about separating people and then you get weather, right? And then you still have your same old weather shelter. And then suddenly it's like, uh-oh, what happened to social distancing? What happened to masking? Now I have people in close quarters. I didn't even think of that, right? I just felt like my weather plan could stay the same. Your weather plan cannot stay the same in COVID. It has to be changed. And just like you're taking care of trying to figure out how to space people appropriately for the entertainment part of your concert, your sporting event, whatever it is, you now have to do the same thing with your weather shelter spaces as well. So does that affect your capacities? Oh my gosh, absolutely. This is one of my pet peeves right now. My pet peeve are people that are taking numbers out of their, let's say hat, right? Uh, <laughs> 25%, 50%, we're doing this capacity. No, right? It, that's not scientifically based. It's not virally based. You have to get your public health people and your, your structural engineers, your meteorologists all involved in what the right number is. And, and just for an example, when we think about shelter space, the FEMA guideline is five square feet. That's two foot 
three inch by two foot three inch. That's you standing shoulder to shoulder, front to back with people everywhere. That's how we do weather sheltering currently. That's not gonna cut it in COVID. In COVID, you need six feet by six feet. That's 36 square feet. So you're talking about one seventh the capacity, which means that your weather shelters will likely only be able to satisfy 14% of what it used to hold. And if you're still doing events with 25% or 50% capacity, you still have a problem when it comes to weather sheltering because you're still not gonna have enough space to appropriately social distance those folks. So you almost need to start with the worst case scenarios, your weather sheltering and you work your way the other direction or you need to figure out a way to find more shelter space for the individuals you're bringing in, even at these lower capacities. So, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but doesn't that mean you also, those additional spaces may be farther away, so you may have to start your evacuation sooner uh, and you have to figure out how to get people there. Great, great point, right? Timing is everything, right? When we, we preach this, when we do weather plans, yes, the eight mile safety radius is, is pretty much used across the board, but it's really about how long it takes you to evacuate. If it's going to take you nine minutes to evacuate and the storm's moving at 50 plus miles per hour, you're not going to have enough time to get everybody to shelter, even in these lower capacities. If you have to sort of bring new shelters online and they're farther away, then suddenly your radius is going to expand outward in terms of when you need to trigger the evacuation decision. And so having trigger charts that can align with your capacities, with the speed of the weather, those are absolutely critical to have, maybe even more so now in the COVID situation than we've ever had before. So I'm gonna remind our gentle podcast listeners this is not the first time that Dr. Clazel has weighed in on exactly the smart things that he has just said. In fact, I'm going to quote from a treatise that I'm really hoping that all of you have by now. It's called the Event Safety Alliance Reopening Guide, and well, it's been out since May 11. Here's a dramatic reading that I think you'll enjoy. Um, Kev, you may recognize these words because you wrote most of them. Here go. This is from page three. So this was at the beginning. Before you got tired, you should have seen this language, podcast listeners. Here goes. Careful decision-making is necessary because even well-intentioned safety measures have potentially significant unintended consequences. Here's the good part. Consider, for example, risks as seemingly unrelated as coronavirus and severe weather. If a take-refuge order is required against a weather hazard such as lightning, social distancing may not be possible in existing areas of refuge. I think you just heard that. Alternate assembly areas and more egress portals will be needed to mobilize a mass evacuation. But we're not done. There's still more. If additional shelter areas are not available or egress capacity prevents social distancing during a weather evacuation, which invariably it does, then outdoor event organizers and their vendors will have to reevaluate their decision triggers. Oh my God, Kevin, you just mentioned decision triggers. 
wait, uh, let me just finish this paragraph because it's a beautiful paragraph. You may even consider proactively postponing or canceling where you cannot effectively activate emergency plans without exposing workers and patrons to greater risk of transmission. And here's the punchline. The new normal gets complicated in a hurry. <laughs> There's nothing new about the observations, brilliant though they are, that Dr. Clazel has just said on this podcast. He wrote them for us back in early May. Now they're just more, more on point even than before, because the solution to getting events reopened, at least for right now, while it's nice weather most places, is outdoor events. But outdoor events, we can't just, you know, pluck a capacity number out of the air like some, you know, elected officials seem want to do. You know, looking at you, Florida, you know, Iowa, how's it hanging? You know, you can't do that. There's actual science involved even in this part of the coronavirus solution, how we think about this. In this case, it's thinking about meteorology in the context of coronavirus. Danielle, did you want to chime in after my rant? I, I enjoyed the rant, and I was just thinking for, for, for our fabulous listeners that you didn't necessarily have to take notes because you can find the, the kernel of knowledge in the Event Safety Alliance Reopening Guide. Hooray! Page three. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that some of our listeners are doing outdoor events for the first time. So we've, we've talked a little bit so far about the complications that COVID adds to that. But Kevin, can you give us a little weather safety 101 for those people that are venturing outside and it's a new thing for them and they're developing their plans for the first time and they're not necessarily 100% sure what to consider. I know that in Arizona, there's some weird weather things that- Hot. Haboot, hot and- Hot, the, it's just hot. It's just hot. Um, in South Carolina, where I am, we have torrential thunderstorm, torrential downpour thunderstorms and tornadoes sometimes. But we, well, we have hot too, but we don't normally have a lot of um, hurricanes in the part of South Carolina where I am. So, so what, what are we going to look at? Yeah, strangely enough, we're living this on our campus at the University of Oklahoma right now because it is a good idea to move as many of the classes that you have that may wind up with people in closer quarters to move them outdoors. Uh, and I've seen this not only with our own university, but universities all over the country, as well as some of the high schools, even around here in central Oklahoma. When you drive by, there are now tented structures, you know, temporary structures that are that are outside and those are gonna require planning for, okay, do you have a mechanism for measuring winds? Do you know what the wind influence on tents are? You know, what can your particular tent take? Are they being inspected? Are they being installed properly? Uh, if it rains, you know, what happens then? And like I said, we live this right now because we have 30 of these on our campus. We have 30 outdoor events daily on our campus and they're called classes. And they run from eight o'clock in the morning until 9 p.m. at night. And there are people in and out of them in between cleaning cycles all day long. 
And so what happens is, is we're in central Oklahoma. We get lightning, we get wind, right? We get all of these things and we get them quite frequently. Uh, and the other night we had 29,700 lightning strikes in four hours within eight miles of our campus. Oh, and four inches of rain to go with it. And so what we had to do is not only work the evacuation for the tents, because now you need to have a plan that aligns an appropriate shelter, an indoor shelter with every one of these new tented structures. You have to have a means of communicating the information into the tent so that you can evacuate them in a timely way. So you can't forget the communication piece. And then you have to have a way to reevaluate the tent after the fact, right? After it's had four inches of rain, after it's had 50 mile an hour winds, we unfortunately had to take every one of our 30 tents offline for inspection before we can resume based upon the 50 mile an hour winds and the four inches of rain that we had. And we're not gonna be able to resume the tented outdoor classes until Tuesday after Labor Day because we're gonna be working all weekend to make sure that every single one of those tents, the very first thing we found in heavy rain, every one of those tents heaved their stakes out of the ground. We had four inches of rain in a couple of hours and because the ground was so wet, that the stakes literally heaved out of the ground and now they're just literally sitting on the ground or haphazardly sort of halfway in the hole that they were in. We can't go back in and put them in the ground because the ground is too wet. So now we've got to have a dry out period before we can go back. But these are all things that have to be part of your expectation when you have outdoor tented inflatables, temporary structures, etc. And of course, our event folks who have done outdoor events over and over again know this, right? They're, they've had an experiential level of interaction with these issues. But for many of our people who are doing outdoor events for the very first time, you've never experienced these things. And if you've never experienced them, you're ripe for mistake making in these cases. So please learn from your outdoor friends who have already done this. <laughs> learn from our mistakes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and even, like I said, even on our campus where we have outdoor events all the time, this has come as quite a, a shock because all of these tents are on the academic side. Right? These are people who are used to inside classrooms. It's faculty, it's the provost, it's you know those folks that are only used to indoor. Well, we'll just do it outdoors. It's not that simple. It's not just we can do it outdoors. Now you have to work your, your planning, your proactive planning, your decision triggers, your communications, all of those have to be aligned. And then your post event or post weather event inspections, cleaning, all of those things also have to be aligned with that plan. So what are they doing for Friday classes? Not outdoors. <laughs> well, it's, it's Labor Day weekend. What I have been told is that there are very few people on our campus today. <laughs> so I, 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 I can speak to what we're doing here at Furman is when, when the weather trigger falls, they go to a Zoom situation. So they, the professor says, we're not going outside. Go to your space room, whatever, and log on to your Zoom, which they don't right. like that. There are so many layers to the complexity now that the thought process needs to be purposeful, right? It can't be somebody else's weather plan. And this is some, one of the things that we see a lot in, and we get a lot of requests and I, and I love it, right? I love the fact that people see us as, you know, being leaders in this weather planning, whether that be our university or the event safety Alliance. But one of the things we've seen out there is people like to, well, can I have your weather plan? 
okay, well, I'm going to have an outdoor event too. So can I just get your weather plan? Uh, and I don't ever do that, right? I don't ever send anybody any one of our weather plans. What I tell people is I can help you with your weather plan because every one of these events is different and every one of these events requires customization. The type of crowd, the space people have, the layout you have, no two events are the same. And that's even the case. We have, like I said, the 30 tents on our campus, they're all different. They're all different sizes. They're all in different places. You know, some of them are on cement, some of them are on grass, some of them, you know, they're all different and every single one of them needs and that was one of the, the biggest, you know, kind of hurdles was, okay, well, can we have a weather plan for the 30? And what I gave them was 30 weather plans, right? <laughs> like, Why do we need 30 weather plans? Because each one of these is different, right? The shelter space is different for each one. So don't copy paste weather plans. Thoughtfully go through the process of thinking about your venue because ultimately that's the more important process anyway, right, is the thoughtful communication with your organizing team, with your meteorologist, with your structural engineers, that thoughtful conversation about your particular situation is far more valuable uh, in, in the end. So don't copy and paste. And I would say that's the ESA's general form on thoughts on all risk assessments. And, and all risk assessments. Why would that be? Is there some perhaps, I don't know, legal standard that comes into play here? There is, and I'll let, I'll let you share the legal standard, but it's also, it helps you think of what's going on in your situation, which is where we get naturally into Steve. Yeah, I mean, the, the legal standard, which underpins this entire conversation, and, you know, Kev, good for you for coming up with 30 different plans, given that there are 30 different tents, each of which has its own you know, wind rating, its own capacity, you know, it's it's in ground that has different levels of water absorption, you know, different numbers of feet are walking through it, meaning that the stakes are more or less likely to heave up during a storm. The legal duty of care, just to remind you podcast listeners, in case you've forgotten the last few weeks since our last pod, is that we all have a duty. Yes, Danielle is like doing musical notes now, like she's a conductor. Everyone has a legal duty to behave as a reasonable person under your own circumstances. So tent number one has circumstances that are different than tent number two. And that's just how it is. You know, an outdoor event in Florida is going to work differently than an outdoor event in Oklahoma, than an outdoor event in South Carolina which will be still different than an outdoor event in Arizona should someone be so foolish as to do it during our incredible heat wave. I actually just found a picture for the show notes of me standing in the middle of a gigantic puddle during an event that, or a festival that wound up getting its second and third days canceled because of severe storms. And I guess I'm, Danielle, this may just be, you know, something for you and I to sort of brainstorm Given that we're talking about outdoor environments for live events now, how soon in the process of planning an event does weather have to be built in? You know, I, I'm thinking I have sat next to smart people moving entrances around and figure out where the restrooms go, you know, playing with CAD drawings. And it seems to me that probably from that very earliest point, you know, when designing the site, that's where weather has to be built in just like for a festival, except now it's for everything, every type of event, even little bitty ones. 
Well, and most of them are little bitty ones so far. They're, they're the size of an academic class, right? They're, they're a drive-in concert that's on a stage slapped up in a parking lot next to a, a nightclub. And it's, it's how they're keeping their business alive until they can resume normal person. I, I wholeheartedly approve of people's creativity in these times. When people are like, we're going to do this. I was like, that's such an interesting idea. But, you know, the weather is still a factor. You can't have a lightning strike while the guys on stage are plugged into amps and power. And, you know, you, you still have to consider all those things. They're not always traditional sites where you're, you're having huge design meetings. So, Kevin, what do you think? We have drive-in movies on the top of parking garages here in Oklahoma. So these sort of makeshift, right? Everything is makeshift. Weather cannot be makeshift, right? Your weather plans have to account for these makeshift style events because they're going to present probably an enhanced level of risk because most of what's being put up in these outdoor environments is temporary. It blows away. It's not secured to the ground. You know, these inflatable screens that people pop up for these drive-in movies, right? They're just going to tump over, blow over, blow away. Uh, and you certainly don't want that to take out, you know, kids in the process, right? So I agree weather at the very beginning needs to be at the forefront of think through the worst things that can happen. And then how are you mitigating that? So, so what's the solution for your screen on the top of the parking garage? So the screen on the top of the parking garage, those events all have weather support where we can actually move people below into the lower part of the parking deck should we get weather. So if we're going to get heavy rain or we're going to get wind or, or, or lightning or something like that, we can actually move people proactively to the lower decks. Now, if we had a tornado situation, we had a whole different story, right? Uh, depending upon where they park their car, you know, you can put them in cars, but if you have those cars in close proximity to the other stuff that can fly around, sometimes we say cars are a great shelter and lightning because, you know, of all the, the protection that you get. But if you have a lot of things around those cars that can blow into those cars, that's not a good thing. So you may want to remove people from the situation uh, when you shelter them. And I will add to that excellent point, you know, keeping cars away from objects that can penetrate cars, as I think about my little soft top convertible. But aside from that, since the current trend seems to emphasize drive-in events, it is worth noting that if you want people to shelter in their cars, some of them are going to choose to leave during a storm. And then there have to be really robust traffic control measures because you don't want moving cars in a storm to mow down pedestrians walking to their cars. Because somebody's going to have to take their kid to the bathroom while the storm is raging, while everyone is leaving. And I have seen that movie and it ain't pretty. This sounds like the Backstreet Boys in Hershey Park. Um, <laughs> yes, among other stories. Kev, you remember my, uh, my live presentations when there used to be such things? Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know this story. Tell me this story. Um, so here's briefly the, the Hershey reference. So this is part of a presentation that I have done a number of times, um, which starts with a Backstreet Boys show in Thackerville, Oklahoma. Look it up. That's just context for this anecdote. This is about a similar severe weather incident at a different Backstreet Boys show exactly one year after the Thackerville show, literally one year to the day. So this is August 18, 2019, 
Hershey, Pennsylvania, and there was an approaching storm. Thankfully, they canceled in time, so no problems there. But I will now read you from social media, which is, of course, the source of all knowledge. Um, so Celeste wrote in the aftermath of the successful evacuation of the Backstreet Boys in Hershey, PA, um, Celeste, you should have canceled much earlier. That was a shit show. Be more organized next time. Next time, Thunderstorms happen all the damn time. Sincerely, an angry fan. That was Celeste. Then Jennifer wrote, not to mention the whole time trying to exit in our car. This was the point that Kevin was referencing. Everyone is stuck and skidding. People are walking in the traffic. There's no security directing us on where to go or telling the people to walk to the sides. It's madness. Lawsuits up the ass by midnight at this point. Jennifer Brock, you know, <laughs> apparently with some medical background. And then... Finally, a girl has no name. That's her handle. Uh, Hershey, I would just like to say, what an unorganized shit show. Apparently, that's the term of art in Pennsylvania. Um, from the ridiculous unorganized lines to get in that lasted two hours, to finding out it was canceled when we got to the front, to the exit out of the parking lot, the whole experience was a mess not coming back. And that's really the issue here for right. all and live events. And Steve, the, you mentioned it before, and, and we talked about it on page three of the reopening guide, right? Egress, right? The, every, everybody gets to an event at a different time. Everybody leaves the event at the same time. And in a weather evacuation, you can guarantee that, right? Guaranteed that everybody's going to be leaving at the same time. And in this COVID era, the egress part of this really has to be carefully thought out in terms of maybe using more exits than you ever thought you needed. You might need more staffing to help people. You might need to organize that in a different way so that you're sending, you know, various portions of your event to different shelters in opposite directions or whatever the case may be. Uh, but that was the reason why I thought that particular one, because honestly, the evacuation of the concert venue itself went really well, and it was at least somewhat timely, but in the end, it just sort of left everybody to their own volition, and so now you have people walking and driving and, and storm and all of that happening at the same time, and they're just as in danger now as they were when they were being evacuated or if they had left them in the, in the venue, right? I mean, they're just as in the same amount of risk. So you just transferred the risk from one place to another because you didn't think through the back end. That's right. And, you know, here's another reference for you podcast listeners. If you would like to understand why egress is so important, turns out there's a new crowd management standard available for you, which just like the reopening guide is free for you to download. And the time elements of any live event, no matter what kind of event you're talking about, from a, a class on the OU campus to, you know, a small festival with a hundred people, the three chronological periods are ingress, circulation during the event, and then egress, ice. So egress cannot be just assumed to work the same way as ingress because you got everyone in, so naturally everybody can get out. No, they actually have different risk profiles and require attention in different ways. And in this case, also include staffing levels that will just have to be different. And, you know, one of the many 
pains in the ass about COVID-19 is even though you have so many fewer people, so much less capacity at any event, some of the risks are exactly the same magnitude as they were before. Severe weather being one of them and the risk of you know, a disorganized egress, whether a shit show that will yield lawsuits up the ass or, you know, <laughs> just, you know, whatever you're dealing with. The point is, none of these elements goes away just because we have a laser focus on not getting people sick from COVID-19. The stuff that we're talking about today, thank you, Dr. Clazel, it still matters. It's still part of the risk profile of any outdoor event. Well, and where this becomes uh, a fun thought process is the iterative, iterative nature of ice, right? Ingress and, and then sort of the circulation and then egress. But if, if you have a return to play, right, the weather's passed. Weather is safely passed. Now you have a return to play. Well, now you get to reboot and you have another ingress, but that ingress looks very different than the first ingress because the first ingress, everybody was staggered. And some venues have gone to staggered entry times. Okay, but what if you have a weather evacuation and now you've got everybody waiting in shelter to ingress and they all want to get back in at the same time? Have you thought through then what the return to play looks like or the return to event looks like with an ingress risk profile that's different from the first one because this ice process is iterative if you have severe weather. Uh, and so it, 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 you can really, really, you know, drive yourself crazy thinking about these things because you think of all these wonderful new ideas on how to get people into your venue. Weather is going to turn that on its ear every single time, whether it's the egress to shelter or the ingress back if you didn't cancel, right? Let's say the, the weather goes through, it goes through safely. Now you can resume your event safely, but can you get people back in safely? Do you have a plan for that to stagger either the entrance from your shelters and or if your shelters were you know far enough apart, you could bring them back in through different you know, entrance portals or whatever the case may be. Uh, but those are all things that have to be thought through. It's not just the evacuation sheltering plan, right? Because you're like, oh, wow, we got everybody out. Thank you. Okay, it's the weather's gone. Ah, no, y your work has just begun, right? Because now you've got to get people back in safely to resume play. And, and a lot of people forget that piece. Yeah, and actually, even if you are running a venue that's indoors and the, the same thing applies, if you are evacuating people out, say the fire alarm goes off and, and the fire department responds and then you're cleared to restart, well, you still have to deal with the weather that the people are out in and you have to figure out how to get them back in. So the ingress problem is still there even if you're inside. And even when COVID isn't a factor, it's still a still a thing to consider it's just a whole lot easier when covid is not a factor that is so <laughs> true tell you what, mark it right just go out to your driveway draw a two foot three inch square two foot on the side three inches stand in it that is how much space you're being allocated when we think about weather sheltering from lightning because we think you're going to be there for 30 minutes 45 minutes an hour etc can handle that you're in close quarters but you know and then draw a six foot by six foot right 
That's yeah. the difference we're in. And I, I highly recommend do this on your driveway, right? Just picture that difference because it's not just, oh, I need, you know, three times more space, right? Because I'm going from two feet to six feet. That's not true. This is an area, right? And so you're going to need a significant amount of space for one person rather than, you know, then go back in and draw how many two by two squares you can put in that six by six. And that's how many people you used to be able to shelter. Now it's one person. Are they masking? Do you have, you know, appropriate washing and sanitizing stations as people come out of shelters and those kinds of things uh, to help, right? I mean, it's, it's very involved. It's very complicated. Yeah, I mean, the, I'm thinking about the relative lack of air circulation in the shelters that I've been in. You know, they're kind of cramped and stuffy because they're, you know, as you say, Kev, they're not intended to house people for a very long amount of time. So in many respects, they are exactly the environment we are all trying to avoid during this pandemic. That's absolutely true, right? Because, you know, if you're able to show, and this is why one of the things that we've utilized, we're, we're fortunate, right? We have this massive, massive parking garage next to our stadium, and you can spread people out in that parking garage, you know, pretty widely. It's, it's kind of nice, and use concourses and things like that. But that's only if you're talking about, you know, lightning and things like that. You're, you're covered, you have shelter. And if you get into tornado situations, you're talking about likely needing to proactively cancel your event because you're probably not able to tornado shelter large numbers of people in the COVID era in an outdoor venue, right? It's, it's almost impossible. So I would highly recommend that if you're looking at a, uh, you know, working with your meteorologist and you're looking at a tornado risk and a legitimate tornado risk, uh, like say you're in a tornado watch, it's probably not good if you're in a tornado watch to keep that event going because that's just not wise in these times. That's true of indoor ones too. That depends on the indoor space and how many people you have in. Like our basketball arena, we do have space on concourses and in various places in a limited capacity environment, right? Uh, now, if you're in a full capacity, I can't imagine that you would, one, want to be in a full capacity environment in COVID, although we've seen some various rallies and things that have attempted that. Uh, but yes, sheltering in those environments with a limited capacity, you'd have to evaluate your space. And if you had the space, you know, with the right amount of, you know, 36 square feet for each individual, uh, then you're probably good. But if you don't, like I'm, we were talking offline before this podcast started about a 2,000 person event indoors. And I said, well, if you have 72,000 square feet, you're good, right? If you can keep everybody separate in a 72,000 square foot environment for, for 2,000 people, that, that works. Uh, but a lot of us don't have 72,000 square feet. So, so, so let's, what the hell? I, I like to bite the hand that feeds me. Let's not use proper nouns, but let's actually explain that story that we were talking about offline, because I do think it's on point for this conversation. So we know somebody who was invited to participate in an event, which is normally a very large activation. It takes place in a very large convention hall space, which when reduced to 2000 people, which is what they're talking about during this pandemic, has ample space if they use it. So the number of humans in the extremely large, high ceiling, well-ventilated space, none of that's a problem in and of itself. Aha, there is the problem. Because 
people don't live in that very large, very high ceiling, very well ventilated space. Rather, they walk around the trade show floor and maybe they, you know, get you know, bunions or, you know, blisters from walking such long distances they're not used to because the, the trade show floor is socially distanced. But where does all the business take place? Doesn't take place on the trade show floor. It takes place, drum roll please, when somebody is at a big hotel resort complex, not on the trade show floor, rather at the bar later that night, or at restaurants where people are getting together and you know trying to you know give a sales pitch and now now you don't have socially distanced conversations now all the good that you've done on the trade show floor has gone away it's the human behavior problem it's the human it's, behavior problem right we are we are naturally we naturally desire to connect with people and if you put us in a situation where we're given permission to do that which is the, the problem with a lot of young people right now is in their eyes, their risk is lower and they're in the situation where they desperately need to connect with, with their peers. And it, it's a very natural tendency, right? You, you, we can tell everyone, don't do this, don't do this. And as, as soon as, as that barrier is lowered just enough, they're, they're going to do it. And, and I'm not picking on young people because we've seen plenty of adults do this as well. Um, it, it's just a, a fact of human nature. And if we don't, yeah, like, like motorcycle rallies and, and political events and, and the beaches in the summer and all, all of these things, you know, and it's socially distancing is really, really mentally abysmal. Uh, so that giving people that opportunity to reconnect is filling a, a biological need, which causes the virus to spread because it's just taking advantage of the fact that we want to be near each other. So, so setting up a situation such as this trade show is just an invitation for the virus to spread because it's going to play on human behavior. And I think that human behavior is going to cross into weather evacuations as well because people already don't like to be evacuated in weather. And so you'll see in football stadiums and, and other places, you'll see a couple of people that decide, you know what, I'm going to sit here in my poncho and I don't care because I just don't want to be near those folks. And so if you give them the sheltering option in a weather evacuation in a COVID era, behavior may leave them where they sit or where they stand and not, you'll, you may have less compliance uh, from individuals who decide that their risk profile is I'm rather chance it out here in the rain and the lightning than go down there and be with all those people who might have COVID. And so I think weather sheltering psychologically is going to be much harder for our outdoor events because people already have in their head what they know a weather shelter looks like. It's close quarters, it's congested, claustrophobic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they may take their chances and just sit out outside at the venue, you know, forget it. I know that my chances of being hit by lightning are, you know, maybe less than, you know, getting COVID if they force me into five by fives, if we haven't shown them that, look, we can safely evacuate you and you can be distanced and we can do that safely. Here's what it looks like. And we need to educate that, right? If we don't, then we're going to probably leave a lot of people out there to their own volition and say, you know what, I'd, I'd rather sit out here and take my chances. So much of how I think we have to deal with COVID-19 involves kind of being the grown-up in the room 
and fighting against what often is a pretty understandable human instinct to not want to be told what to do, to not want to do something that we've never done before or go someplace that we don't want to go. And the, the challenges are almost endless. I mean, you, you wouldn't think, I mean, I wouldn't think as I start to get involved in planning small events again, I wouldn't think there would be so many logistical challenges even to planning a hundred person outdoor event. I mean, my goodness, that, that's like, you know, just a large group of friends hanging out at the park. But it turns out there are enormous logistical challenges, many of which are manifestations of things that we've always had to deal with, such as severe weather, some of which, you know, we're fighting against natural human behavior that we've seen in other ways, but the pandemic stresses us in ways that we've never been stressed before. I mean, uh, I'll just reiterate one thing, Kev, that you mentioned, because to me it's so important, the, the return to play idea you know, once you've gotten through a storm and now you want to get people back into the event, that's mayhem under normal circumstances, especially when, you know, nobody has a paper ticket anymore. And even now, if we're doing a good job in the planning phase and we meter the original ingress, which I think is a you know, that, that is a central thing. Ingress must be metered now to allow for social distancing during ingress. That's easy enough, especially for smaller events during the original ingress. But what the hell do you do if suddenly, you know, an hour and a half after the original start time, now you got to get people back in? I've never seen a plan for that. Yeah, and Steve, one of the things that we've been very strong on here, and, and this is my own personal take, right? This is not necessarily widely held uh, in the community, but my own personal take is that you want to try and be as flexible with your scheduling as possible to avoid the risk, particularly during COVID. So if you know that you have, let's say, a football kickoff and it's going to be at 2.30 in the afternoon and you're expecting storms between 4 and 6, you may want to go ahead and try and proactively move that game to either 11 o'clock in the morning or, you know, six o'clock at night. That's very difficult when you're dealing with, for example, NCAA football TV contracts, but we've done it here, right? We've done it at OU on two different occasions where we've said, we know the risk is, is high enough for this, that we would rather avoid the, all of these ice issues, the ingress and, and circulation and egress issues, and then the reboot of that. And we're just going to move it to get it out of the risk. And so I think planners and event organizers are going to have to be maybe a little bit more flexible with their sponsors, with their partners, to know that at this time, it is likely safer to postpone or move an event, right, than it is to try and wing it and then find out you're in a horrible situation because the weather did pan out and, and now you've got a problem. So I think we might have to be a little bit more on the conservative side to work with the meteorological community because, again, we're not perfect and we will bust, right? We will bust these forecasts on occasion. Uh, but we've gotten much better, right? And 
in this era of getting much better and we're seeing a lot more safe, you know, evacuations before, of course, COVID hit because now we don't have events really, uh, but we're starting to, right? You know, all of these events are starting to come back online. Our first football game is, is eight days from now. And the amount of planning and education and things like that are, are just off the charts versus what it used to be. But again, primary is if we can avoid some of these issues we're talking about with ingress and egress by simply moving it out of the window and working with sponsors and TV partners, et cetera, um, you know, and the artists, right? The football teams themselves in our case, uh, but everybody's got to be flexible and we have to figure out a way to do that. And that requires proactive meteorological support, right? You can't then get to the event and wing it. So I think working well in advance, you've, you mentioned this is kind of full circle earlier. When do you start weather planning? Well, it's at the very beginning, right? It's not at the end. It's not, okay, now we have all our plans. Let's talk about weather. No, weather has to be at the beginning. Yep. And even, even a wedding that's outside, if you have it at 11 o'clock in the morning to avoid the thunderstorm that's coming in at three when you were going to originally say, I do, that's going to ruin your day if you have to stop your wedding in the middle. So yeah, and anything can be moved. Is it easy? No, but it's probably worth it to eliminate that risk. In the era of COVID, it might be easier to move it than it is to deal with the consequences. Absolutely. So this seems like a, a good place to ask for final thoughts. Kevin, as our guest of honor today, what, what do you have any final thoughts for us? Again, weather planning at the very beginning, make sure that your trigger chart that you've always used, right? We've got some veterans out there that have used weather decision trigger charts since the day they came out, right? Uh, and may have been using them for, for a decade now. It's, you got to change it, right? You got to relook at everything and relook at everything and en engage your meteorologist, but it's a much more complex environment that we are in now. That does not mean it's insurmountable, right? We can get through this. We will get through this, but it will take some planning. Please don't just share cut and paste, right? Go through the process of developing your own customized weather plan for your event uh, and best to every single one of you out there, stay safe. Yeah, I, I'm going to underscore the point, Kevin, that you just made, which is because every circumstance is at least somewhat different and during COVID-19, even though the events will tend to be much smaller, there will be some economies of scale, but some of the risks are full scale, just like always. And severe weather is one of those risks that remains absolutely 100% original scale size. So even if you've got a very small event, your plan has to be robust for the current risk profile that you have, and each risk is different. So, you know, to now completely repeat, Kevin, do your own homework because just copying and pasting somebody else's work, that's not going to cut it. And don't pick a number for capacity out of your hat, right? <laughs> Do it the in, in right case, way, right? Do it the right way. In case you guys missed it, hat is a euphemism. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to thank everyone again for this. Weather is a super important thing to consider in your risk assessment. Um, some of the resources we spoke about today were the Event Safety Alliance Reopening Guide, uh, which is available online for free. Also, the original Event Safety Alliance Guide, the Event Safety Guide. Uh, the Event Safety Guide. 
has it has a whole thing on weather. I encourage people to review that section. You can get it online, I think, for free. Yeah, also, so it, it is free, and um, I know that copies are electronic now, which frankly is a lot easier. You don't want to be schlepping around a print copy. Um, I have several in my bookcase. They look cool, but everything that I buy now is electronic. Yeah, so so fabulous resource, um, and also sidewalk chalk currently on sale because it's the end of the season. So you can go outside and, and draw your boxes on your driveway or your sidewalk or whatever you have nearby. So you can visualize that spacing that we were talking about. And Steve, before uh, we go. I, I would like to make a brief plug for something that those of you who are LinkedIn friends with me, you know, um, the Event Safety Alliance has a fabulous new face covering. So consistent with the idea that we should all be safe by covering our faces and not aerosolizing our potentially infectious droplets at each other. Um, ESA has a very sharp looking face covering. Um, Danielle Hernandez has been integral in the process of making that happen. And if you see uh, the return mailing address, that will be from South Carolina. So thank you, Danielle, for doing the labor on that. Um, but the ESA face covering is really an excellent thing. It not only looks good, but it's lined. It is an excellent product supports ESA and the work that we're trying to do to keep us all safe and get events reopened. So if you go to eventsafetyalliance.org, um, you can order your own um, ESA face coverings. They are really excellent. Um, and uh, we encourage you to get one and impress your friends. <laughs> thank you, Steve, for that. Um, yeah, and I'll even write you a thank you note. So, you know, if that that if that's what pushes you over the edge or whether or not to get a get a new face covering with the essay on it uh, our final resources is us so if you guys have any questions or concerns or something you'd like us to talk about please feel free to drop us a line info at eventsafetyalliance.org put podcast in the subject line so that it gets to us thank you to jacob for doing all the editing i've, I've had several stumbles today so hopefully he will fix at least some of them uh, thank you, Steve and Kevin. As always, it's an honor to speak with you all and stay safe, everybody. <laughs> I was like, blah, 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 blah. say it again. <laughs>